Good morning. So good to see you today. Uh, we are in a series called Stretched, and we are looking at what it means to live by faith. Today, I want to talk to you about how faith changes you, how faith changes you. I want to say some statements to you this morning, and I hope they're true in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, they certainly are. Because of Jesus, who we were yesterday is not who we have to be today. Who we were yesterday is not who we have to be today. And because of Jesus, who we are today is not who we have to be tomorrow. Who we are today is not who we have to be tomorrow. Personally, if you spent about, I don't know, 20 minutes outside the walls of this room with me, you would see Joe Terreri needs Jesus to go to some places in his life. We all need Jesus desperately. And I'm thankful that who I am today is not who I'm going to be tomorrow, and who I was yesterday is not who I am today. And that's all because of what Jesus Christ has done for me and is doing in my life. As we go to Hebrews 11 this morning, where we've been looking at what it means to live by faith, we're going to look at the life of a man named Jacob. And his life is an embodiment of the reality that who he was when he was a healthy young man is not who he was as a dying man. Hebrews 11.21 says this, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So here's a question for you this morning. Of all the moments in Jacob's life, maybe you don't know a lot about Jacob's life. I'll tell you his life story in a moment. Of all the moments of Jacob's life, why is the author of Hebrews wanting you and I to remember what Jacob did by faith when he was dying? Because it's not really until the end of Jacob's life that we can see most clearly that he had truly become a man of faith. It's not until the end of Jacob's life that we see his faith really living. Here's what I want you to know about Jacob today. Here's some highlights. I have not made any of this up. This is all in the Bible, uh, in the book of Genesis, from about chapter 28 all the way to the end. You could read about the life of Jacob. So let me tell you about Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, and he was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob got his name, which means heel grabber, because while he was in his mother's womb, he grabbed the heel of his twin brother Esau. They were wrestling one another in an effort for Jacob to get out of the womb first. That must have been an experience for his mother. It didn't work, and Esau was born first, and Jacob was grasping his heel as he was coming out of the birth canal. Nice graphic for you this morning. <laughs> Jacob's name was a euphemism, supplanter, heel grabber, that meant like con man. And Jacob lived up to his name and often chose to take things into his own hands instead of trusting God. Jacob conned his brother Esau and took advantage of the fact that one day Esau was so hungry that he traded his birthright, basically his inheritance, two-thirds of his father's wealth for a bowl of soup. And Jacob's like, yeah, you can have this soup, brother, who's going to die of starvation if you give me your inheritance. Jacob, along with his mother, Rebekah, devised a scheme to steal Esau's blessing 
by lying to his blind father. You, you might remember this story. Uh, uh, Jacob dressed up like Esau. He put on some goatskins because Esau was a hairy man who liked to hunt. And Jacob was a light-skinned guy who liked to hang out with his mom in the kitchen. So Jacob didn't have a lot of hair on his arms, but Esau did. Jacob liked Axe body spray, and Esau just liked to roll around in the leaves. And so uh, Esau was a man's man. And so uh, Jacob had to dress up, and like Isaac's like, is that you? Smells like Esau, because he was e- wearing some of Esau's clothes, and then he stole Esau's blessing. After Esau found out about this, he plotted to kill Jacob. So Jacob ran away from home and went to live with his uncle Laban, who was a con man himself. Laban gave Jacob a taste of his own medicine. He was told by Laban, catch this, that if he worked for seven years for him, he could marry his prettier, younger daughter, Rachel. And on the wedding night, after seven years, after seven years working the fields, some guys are like, I don't know if I could do that. No, you definitely wouldn't do that. But Jacob was so head over heels over Rachel, he's like, I'll work the fields for seven years to be with Rachel. And on his wedding night, it was dark, no lights, no electricity. Laban sent in older, not as pretty Leah. And they consummated the marriage. And I'm always confused how you cannot know, but he did not know. And all of a sudden, he was married to Leah. And Laban said, okay, Jacob, here's some good news. You can also marry Rachel, being married to two sisters. No, thank you. You could also marry Rachel if you work for me another 17, or excuse me, another seven years. And that's what Jacob did. This is in the Bible. I'm not making any of this up. After 14 years, Jacob was married to two sisters who were competing for Jacob's love and attention. This is his life. Out of jealousy, story's not over. Leah and Rachel got into a baby-making competition to see how many children they could produce for Jacob. They actually let Jacob not only try to have children with them, but through their servants. And by the time this was all over, Jacob had 13 kids with four different women, and you think your family has some dysfunction. I want to say this seriously because this is incredibly sad. Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, was sexually assaulted by a guy named Shechem. And in an act of revenge, Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, killed every man who lived in Shechem's hometown. And then Rachel, Jacob's true love, died during childbirth after only a few years together. And I think the deepest pain of Jacob's life, even more so than losing one of his four wives, was when his favorite son, Joseph, was sold into slavery, and Jacob spends almost two decades believing that his son Joseph had been eaten by wild animals, when in fact he was actually in Egypt. In Genesis 42, we read a good summary of how Jacob thought about his life when he said, everything is against me, and yet... In light of all the tragedy, sin, and grief in Jacob's life, we are told that as he was dying, his faith was living. As he was dying, his faith was living. Hebrews 11:21 says that by faith Joseph blessed the sons, or excuse me, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. That story is found in Genesis 20 or Genesis 48, and we find Jacob 
who at this point God had renamed him to Israel. We'll read about that later. We find Jacob on his deathbed and Joseph, who he's just been reconnected with 17 years earlier, brings his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to be blessed by their their grandfather. Genesis 48, verses 8 through 19, talks about the story when Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. When Israel, that's Jacob, saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, so that Jacob could bless the older one with his right hand. And he brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name in the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand and he tried to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. The first thing I want to share with you today about how faith changes us is faith changes my understanding of how God works. Faith changes my understanding of how God works. Something unexpected happens in this story, which the author emphasizes. Jacob gives the younger son, Ephraim, the greater blessing. Jacob, or Joseph, thinks his dad's eyesight is failing and tries to put Jacob's hands on the right son, but Jacob says, no, no, this is how it's going to be. The younger one is going to get blessed greater than the older one. Can't you hear it in Jacob's voice? Sensing the disapproval of Joseph, but reassuring him, that it is right to put the younger son ahead of the older son. Why does this matter to us? Why is this what Jacob did by faith that we should remember? Because by faith, Jacob has come to understand that birth order and social mores don't determine the direction of God's grace in people's lives. 
When you've experienced God's faithfulness like Jacob has, you realize that it is not the strong and powerful that God favors, but the weak, the subtle, the humble, and the unimpressive. We see this repeatedly in the Old Testament, but we see it with razor-sharp clarity in the life of Jesus. That Jesus was not looking to work through people's lives who felt they were strong and self-sufficient. See, Jesus wanted to eat with prostitutes, not the religious leaders. Jesus wanted to eat lunch with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who was kind of like the Bernie Madoff of his day. When Jesus chose his disciples, he asked all the guys who had flunked out of Bible college, they couldn't make it in a religious vocation. When God chooses to save the world, he asks a teenage girl from the woods to carry the Messiah in her womb. Jacob realizes that God chose to fulfill his promises through his life and not his older brother Esau. Jacob has come to understand that God works through people that do not deserve it and who the world does not expect. God is not working in your life or my life based on our social status, our race, our wealth, our political affiliation, where you went to school, if you have a graduate degree, your resume, your body type, your cheekbone structure, your beauty, or your fame, or your popularity, or anything else that we try to find our identity in. God is not working in any of us because we're tall. God works through weakness. This is what Jacob has learned by faith when he blessed the younger. Hey, God's not into this who's firstborn nonsense. God's not into the social pecking order. God works through weakness. God does his own thing with whom he wants to do it. How can we know for sure that I'm not just making that up, but that's actually how Jacob understood what was happening? Listen to how Jacob describes himself when he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. Genesis 48, verses 15 through 16 say this. This is Jacob talking about himself. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. In his dying moments, as he thinks about his life and all that he has been through, Jacob confesses that God has been his shepherd. What is Jacob saying? If you call God your shepherd, what does that say about you? You're just a sheep, yo. You're just a sheep. You know what sheep are? They're not strong. They're not independent. Jacob hasn't outsmarted or conned God. When Jacob is old and dying, he looks back over his life and he says, all along, I've needed the Lord. A minister who was a former shepherd said this about sheep. I love this quote. I've shared it about six years ago. So if you think I'm recycling material, this is from six years ago. I love this quote. 
and this just think about yourself here. You're not going to want to. Don't think about sheep. Think about you. A sheep is a stupid animal. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, this is real encouraging. A sheep is a stupid animal. Sheep follow one another and lose their sense of direction continually in a way that cats and dogs do not. Even when they are found, they are not happy to be found. It is extremely difficult to round up a lost sheep and bring it home unless you have a dog to scare it, a very big dog. The lost sheep rushes to and fro, and you must seize it, cast it down, tie its four legs together, and carry it home struggling. Some of you are like, that describes my walk with the Lord. Like, that's why I'm here this morning. Because, like, I got seized, cast down, legs tied together, and I'm here. If it was up to me, I wouldn't be here. I'm here because the Lord kept pursuing me when I didn't deserve to be pursued. Do you know that a sheep never feels loved when it's being loved? All those times when Jacob thought God was hurting him and abandoning him, he wasn't. He was shepherding him. Jacob has seen firsthand God working through his own weaknesses. Why does this matter? Because it's in your weaknesses that God is most glorified. This allows us to be people who understand at the core of who we are, we are simply sheep in need of a faithful and gracious shepherd. We can let God work through our weaknesses and reject any notion of heroism and self-sufficiency. It might have taken a lifetime, but Jacob finally could see himself the right way and accepted the way God wanted to work when he blessed the sons of Joseph because God works through the weak. So what does that mean for you? You need to stop trying to be strong. You need to stop acting like you're the man or woe man, and you need to just embrace your sheepiness. You need to embrace the shepherd. I mean, some of us, we still walk with a swagger. We still walk with a swagger, like we're someone, like we got it going on. Just want you to know there's not a lot of room in the kingdom for people who swagger. You know why? Because you're building your own kingdom on the side. Because you think you got your life together. Some of us in this room really believe that you have your life together. You really believe that you have it going on. You really believe you're becoming a somebody. Teenagers, that's what you want to do. You want to become a someone. You want to walk around your high school and have everyone think you're great. Some of you want to walk around your corporate offices and say, there's someone on the rise. That's not the life of faith, yo. It's being shepherded. It's not reading your own mail. It's realizing that anything good that God has ever done for you, in you, or through you is him. So when Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, it was a confession of his dependence. But that's not all Jacob did. It also says this. There's only two points to this message. Here's the last one. It says, by faith, 
Hebrews 11.21, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. This is a reference to what happened before Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. These stories are actually not chronological in Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, chapter 47 comes before chapter 48. And the second part, Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob leaning on his staff as he worshiped the Lord is found first in Genesis 47. This is what it says. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147 When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh. This is a way to kind of make a covenant or a contract. If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, I'll carry your remains out of Egypt. And then what happened? Israel, Jacob, worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. For Jacob, in his dying moments, he was believing in faith that his family would leave Egypt and return to their home in the land of Canaan, the promised land that God had promised to him and his people. Jacob says, our destiny is not Egypt for the people of God. Our destiny is the land he has promised, and when I die, even though I'm going to die in Egypt, you carry my bones, you carry my remains back. To the promised land and bury me there. At 147 years old, Jacob on his deathbed was holding on to the promises of God and worshiped God as he leaned on his staff. But this staff was not just an ordinary thing to Jacob. It's weird. You can actually read the story of Jacob and see that his staff meant something to him. In fact, it had gone with him everywhere he had gone. There was a time in Jacob's life where God had commanded Jacob to go back and make right with Esau. God told Jacob, you go back and you make your relationship right with Esau. Not part of the message. The message is going to go here for a moment. The Lord is definitely calling you to go back And make things right with the Esau in your life. Sermon continues. So Jacob is scared. And he has to go back and face his brother Esau because last he heard, Esau wanted to kill him. And Jacob is afraid. And so in Genesis 32, verses 9 through 10, we find Jacob praying this prayer. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. God had blessed Jacob with an abundance of wealth and people. 
This staff had been a traveling companion for Jacob throughout his whole life. His staff served as a reminder of what God had done for him throughout his life. But Jacob didn't realize just how much he was going to need his staff when he said, God, all I've had is my staff. That's what I started with. Jacob was going to need the staff. Before Jacob met Esau, he sent all of his family and his kids and his animals and his possessions ahead of him. And Jacob spent the night alone. And during the night, right after he prays this prayer, this is what happens in Jacob's life. Genesis 32, verses 24 through 31. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God. You're like, who is he wrestling with? God. It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob wrestles with God, and here's what God does. He changes his name and wrenches his hip. Jacob the deceiver turned into Israel, the man who struggled with God and walked away limping. He never knew how much he was going to need that staff because everywhere Jacob went, he limped because God had wrenched his hip. Jacob went from the curse of deception to the blessing of brokenness. Jacob went from the curse of deception to the blessing of brokenness. And what you can see in Jacob's life as he's living by faith when he's dying is that the deepening of his faith came through pain. The deepening of his faith came through pain. The second and final thing we need to know this morning is that faith changes what I lean on. As Jacob is leaning on his staff, worshiping God, it's symbolic of not only the pain he's experienced, but also the faithfulness of God. God often directs our lives and fulfills his purposes and teaches us more about himself through the pain we experience. When Jacob leans on his staff, worshiping the Lord at the end of his life, he isn't 
bitter and angry. He is worshiping because he knows that in the midst of his pain, God has always been faithful. So, can you picture it with me? Can you picture this old man with his staff? And he's limping. And he's never not limped since that night. He wrestled with God. And he's like, when I die, bring me back to the land of promise. And then he's leaning on that staff. And that staff had been a symbol of grace in his life. Because he knew that as he experienced pain, God was leading him. God was directing him. I want to close with a story this morning from my own life. Last Sunday night, um, Jeff, who leads worship for us often, Jeff and I have been friends uh, since 1982 when he was born. And, um, and so I know Jeff's parents real well. So we had Jeff's parents. They were in town. They live in Buffalo. And I had Jeff's parents over to our house uh, for dinner, and we wanted them to see our new home, and we have a lot of history with them. And I was sitting with Jeff's dad. His name's Dave. Absolutely awesome man of God. And Dave and I were alone at my dining room table, and we were reminiscing about my old basketball days. And we were talking about some of the old games that I played, and I was sharing some memories, and sharing about my coach, and he had come to some of my games, and, and we were talking, and I said to him, I said, I didn't play basketball my senior year, and, he was, and I just started to remember this story. When I was a senior in high school, I played volleyball, and I was a much better volleyball player than I was a basketball player, and that's not saying a whole lot. I'm surprisingly athletic, I know. But I was at volleyball practice, it was October, and I had gone up to spike a ball with my three and a half inch vertical. And when I came down, I landed on the foot of the kid on my team who was guarding me across the net. His name was Frank Lancaster. I'll never forget Frank Lancaster. And I fell down on the gym floor and I sprained my ankle terribly. I heard the pop, I heard the crack, and I was down. And I was actually wearing these special braces around my ankle because I had done this about 12 times before. And they guaranteed that you weren't supposed to sprain your ankle when you were wearing them. And I'm sitting on the ground writhing in pain thinking that's bad marketing and it's not true. And so I hurt my ankle so badly that I had to be in a cast for about six to eight weeks. And just through that six to eight weeks, I kind of stepped off the volleyball team and I didn't end up playing basketball because of the injury and some other circumstances. But it was right after I hurt myself during my senior year, during the volleyball season, that I started getting involved in a youth group near my house. And I went to that youth group every Wednesday night. I made a ton of friends there. I made my lifelong best friend, Cheryl Lynn Summers was there. 
and I, and I had all this free time because volleyball was every day and basketball was every day and I had no time for youth group. But because I was limping and my athletic career was over, the grace of that pain I got into a situation where I was just in this youth group every night and we went on this retreat a year later. It was called Jesus Encounter. And at Jesus Encounter, I'll never forget, I was 19 years old and I remember the Lord spoke to me and called me in a very real way that I'll always remember. And I was just telling Dave the story about my ankle and about how I had sprained it and hurt it so badly. I got just overcome with emotion and with thanksgiving and with joy because I realized that it was the grace of that painful experience in my life that God had used to position me where he wanted me to do what he wanted to do in me and through me. And as I was telling this story to Dave, I hadn't remembered it for like 17 years. And I only limped for six or eight weeks. But I worship. I worship because God was working through my pain. And I want you to worship this morning because God is working in your pain. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? Some of you, you're leaning on your retirement accounts. Some of you, you're leaning on your careers. Some of you, you're leaning so heavily on your spouse or your children that you're suffocating them. Some of us are looking for other people to make us happy and give us a sense of fulfillment and identity. And some of us don't think we need to lean on anything and we're fine. But what Jacob shows us is that when he was dying, he was leaning. And this morning, I want you to think about your life and I want you to ask yourself, where are you leaning? See, it's by faith that we relocate our confidence from our own abilities and our own strength and place it all onto the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that it can be said about your life that who you were yesterday is not who you have to be today if you lean Jacob's faith shows us that his faith was living even when he was dying. But for us this morning, is your faith living even when you're living? And so, what are you leaning on this morning? Where's all your confidence? Why so much belief in yourself? Have you leaned on the Lord? 
Have you put all your confidence in him and renounced all self-confidence? Or do you still want to lean on your own abilities? This morning, the application is quite simple. Look over your life. Think about where you're at. And ask yourself if you're leaning on Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd. And we need him deeply. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe there's some here this morning who have never leaned on Jesus. Maybe there's some here this morning who are only leaning on Jesus when they absolutely have to, but when life is going well, they're self-sufficient. And I want to invite you to lean and not stop leaning on the solid anchor and the solid hope of Jesus. Jesus died in your place for your sin. Jesus makes you new. And Jesus doesn't just make you a new person, but he walks with you and he shepherds you all the days of your life. Where are you at with the Lord today? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, especially those who are in pain. And Lord, maybe if they're not going to see it today, I pray they would see it in the future as they look back over their lives that the pain they've experienced, though maybe no fault of their own, and Lord, we're not saying you caused it, but what we are saying is, is that when we are in pain and when you allow pain into our lives and when you allow us to experience unrealized dreams and heartache and physical pain and emotional pain, Lord, when we walk through those things, it's an opportunity to lean. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who are bitter in this room, we would walk away from the curse of bitterness and embrace the blessing of brokenness. Because God, it's when we are broken, it's when we are weak, when we are leaning, that you are most glorified in us. Lord, be glorified in us. In your strong name I pray. Amen. Amen.